Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Laugh Again. In this series, based on Philippians, we find many things that can bring happiness to our lives. Today, lead pastor David Fossil shows us a model for manhood. Along the way, he points out what Paul has to say about manhood that's not godly. Listen as Pastor Dave points out some of the issues men face every day, and as he asks, are you the kind of man God desires? Well, happy Father's Day, guys. It's uh, If you're sitting in the luxury box, don't be afraid. Grab that popcorn and uh, start enjoying that. Uh, today is an extra special Father's Day uh, for me, because if you'll remember, exactly a year ago um, today, uh, for the first time in 20 years, I had to miss a, a Sunday morning because of a family emergency. If you'll remember the story, my daughter fell in the backyard and she hit the back of her head on the concrete. And long story short, we ended up at uh, the emergency room and intensive care at Children's Hospital. So it was quite a scare. And uh, she's doing much better now. And there's no no signs of any problem. In fact, this morning I got up and uh, my, my Julia, the same kid that had that problem a year ago, she wrote a kind of a handwritten card and it says, bacon and eggs, coffee and toast. Who's the guy we love the most? It's you. Happy Father's Day. So that was kind of fun to get. Very different this Father's Day than, than last, last Father's Day. You know, it's not my habit um, on Father's Day or on Mother's Day or anything like that to craft a message and a sermon just for dads or just for moms or women or I, I don't normally do that because Father's Day, Mother's Day is more of a, a hallmark holiday. It's not necessarily something that's in this book. And so normally we just kind of keep going in whatever we're doing and whatever the series is. Uh, today's going to be a little bit different. And it's because of this series in the book of Philippians. We've been going on verse by verse. I bumped into something uh, about a month ago that I thought would be especially appropriate on this day, uh, specifically targeting men. And let me give you a little motivation in terms of why I decided to do that. Um, uh, a couple years ago, there was an author by the name of Walden Hardenbrook that wrote a book, let's put it up on the screen, called Missing from Action, Vanishing Manhood in America. And, and the, the premise of this book is, it was very simply that our culture is selling to our men uh, a model of manhood that is re- it's not godly and, and it's confusing to many guys in terms of what it means to be a man and doesn't mean to be a man, so on and so forth. And he, he talks about many different things. He co- gives a couple examples uh, of, uh, of false models of manhood. And let me just put them up, some of them uh, on the screen for you. He talks about the macho maniac. You know, this is kind of the Clint Eastwood Rambo type of a guy, you know. He, you know, they deny their feelings. They accomplish the impossible every eight minutes. They ignore the law. They never worry. They never complain. They never apologize. They just sweat. They're real men, you know. That's the macho maniac, right? And then he says the great pretender. This is the guy who, um, who builds himself up by tearing everyone else down, especially his wife and his kids. You know, and sometimes it's because something's going on on the inside of them, um, whether it's insecurity or self-esteem issues or fear issues. And the easiest way to feel better about themselves is to kind of be bravo and bravado and be loud and and kind of push everyone else down so they feel better about themselves. That's he calls that person the great pretender. And he he talks about uh, there's world class wimps and these guys are just. They're inept and they're soft and they're, they're outwitted by their wives and by their children and by, by the dog, you know. And, you know, everyone's kind of making fun of them behind their back because they're kind of inept. And then he talks about the gender blender. 
These are the guys that almost turned their back on masculinity. Kind of the boy George, Michael Jackson type of, of a guy. And he, he just, he talks about these different models. They're, you know, they're not true models of what it means to be a man. Well, what I want to do is talk to you about this morning, what it, what it means to be a man. Um, in chapter two of the book of Philippians, it's interesting. We're going verse by verse by verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And about a month ago, I skipped 10 verses. No one said anything to me. Maybe you caught it, but I skipped 10 verses where Paul, he's talking about two guys, one by the name of Timothy and one by the name of Epaphroditus. And initially, it seems he's just kind of doing a Facebook post, giving everybody an update on how he's two, two buddies of his are doing. But at more careful examination, what you see is that he's giving specific characteristics of what it means to be a man. Um, now, I'm going to be uh, addressing that this morning and talking about it. But before we jump into the verses, a quick word to our ladies here this morning. If you look on the study guide, it says, Model for Manhood. What are you supposed to do with that? Do I even fill in the blanks? You know, what am I doing here with that? It reminds me of a uh, of a conversation I had with, with Jessica, who is now 16, my middle daughter, about when she was four or five. We were at IHOP. And I don't know where Joshua was, my, my eldest son, but he was not there. So it was mom, dad, and Jessica. And so we ordered our pancakes and whatever, and, and uh, we waited for, for this waitress to bring back. And we started talking to Jessica about, sweetie, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and uh, do you want to be a nurse? No. Do you want to be a doctor? No. Do you want to be a school teacher? No. Do you want to be a lawyer? No. Do you want to be a ballerina? No. You know, and we're just kind of going on and on. So finally we asked her, sweetie, what do you want to be? She says, when I grow up, I want to be a man. I was like, excuse me? She goes, I want to be a man when I grow up. And I go, it's not going to work. You're not going to be able to be a man. She goes, I want to be a man. I really want to be a man. She's just losing and crying. And finally, we, we decide, why, sweetie? Why do you want to be a man? She goes, because I want to be in charge of stuff when I grow up. And I was like, it's not the 1700s. You, you can be in charge of stuff and be a woman. She goes, okay, I'll be a woman. <laughs> um, a word to the women here today. Just like my daughter when she was four. I want to be a man in the sense that all the blanks we're going to talk about today are transferable to you. Okay? So just understand what I'm doing. I'm going to just be really upfront before I jump into these verses. This morning, guys, I'm coming after you. Um, and, and as I've been praying over these verses and as I've been studying and thinking about what God wants me to share, I'm going to specifically be talking to you men and, and, and addressing issues that we deal with particularly. So as we fill in these blanks and go over these characteristics, I want you to nail down in your mind, are you the kind of man that God is asking for from you? Are you the kind of man that he desires for you? Philippians chapter 2, verse 19, the first characteristic that Paul addresses is, he says, God is desperately looking for men of compassion. Men of compassion. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul cannot go to Philippi because he's in prison in Rome. And so he's telling them initially, I'm going to send Timothy to go find out how you're doing. He's going to come back and tell me, kind of give me an update. I have no one else like him who shows a genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Let me give you real quickly a little bit about Timothy. First of all, Timothy is a great example and encouragement and a motivation 
Uh, for those of you who are single parents or you, you're, you're part of a family where, where, you know, you're in church, but your spouse is not in church because I, I say that because Timothy grew up in a mixed family or a mixed marriage. His mom was Jewish. His dad was Greek. In other words, mom went to church, believed in God and was a person of faith. Dad, not so much. He stayed home and watched football, did whatever he was going to do on Sunday morning, had nothing to do with God. And, and sometimes when I'm talking to single parents or some of you who are in that kind of situation, it's disappointing or discouraging. And all I want to say is this. Yeah, it's always great if mom and dad are on the same page when it comes to faith and God issues. But don't for one moment think that just because it's just you, that you can't have the ability to influence your child to be a spiritual giant like Timothy was. Keep working and keep encouraging and keep influencing your kids. Timothy first meets Paul on Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul comes through and uh, he meets Timothy, his mom and the family, and, and he leads Timothy to the Lord. On Paul's second missionary journey, he begins to mentor him. He begins to disciple him and coach him. Essentially, Timothy becomes an intern underneath Paul and, and eventually becomes a significant and a major leader in, in the early church. Now... What Paul is doing as he writes to the Philippians is he gives this little detail about Timothy that is worth identifying and noting. He says, Timothy is the kind of guy that shows a genuine concern in other people. Genuine concern. Now, I'm going to generalize just a little bit so I understand what, what I'm doing when I say this. Guys, we are really good at talking about NASCAR or cars in general. We are really good at talking about fantasy football or sports. We're really good at talking about women. We're really good talking about hunting and fishing. We're really good when it comes to talking about our careers and what we're doing or the addition on our home. We're really good about that. But how are we when it comes in conversation to showing a genuine concern for others in our life? beyond the, hey, how are you? How'd your weekend go? I'm doing fine. How about yours? I, I realize there are a lot of conversations that happen like that, but there are times when you have the opportunity to zero in with someone and go a little deeper. Are you the kind of guy that is willing to do that, can do that, and then responds to the need compassionately? Guys, you do know that showing a genuine concern for your kids is a lot more than putting food on their table. I, I know you know that. Uh, showing a genuine concern for our wives is so much more than not cheating on her. I know you know that. Showing a genuine concern for your co-workers or the guys that you golf with is more than just spending a couple hours with them. It's going deep and finding out... How Remember that one thing you mentioned to me about what's going on at home? How's that going? I, I wanted you to know I'm praying for you. How are you doing? You know, our world says that it's not very manly to be tender or gentle or kind. And God says, no, no, that's exactly what it means to be a man. I'm a man of compassion. And if, if we'll pick up our chins and open our eyes, there are people around us that are hurting. They're They're hurting. And, and you need to know that God has strategically placed you in their lives to show the love of Christ and to show compassion. It's so sad what Paul says at the end of this verse. He says that Timothy shows a genuine concern. He says, but everyone else looks out for their own interests. Have you, have you ever had a conversation with someone when you leave, you realize that they're really selfish? You know, what do you mean by that? Well, here's how it goes. Hey, 
How are you doing? Fine. How's your family doing? They tell you. How's things? uh, What are you doing for this summer? And they tell you. What's going on with your kids? And they tell you. Hey, what's going on at work? And they tell you. And then the conversation ends and they leave. Never once asking you about your life and your family and your job. Have you ever had one of those conversations? What it is, is someone who's solely focused on me. They may think they have a concern for others, but if I don't ask you any questions, if I'm just telling you what's going on in my life, it's, it's all about really what's going on with me. Paul starts out and says, you want to know what God's looking for? He's looking for guys that are genuinely compassionate. Guys who put people before profit. People before careers. People before money. They care about people. He says, second thing that God is looking for is men who are willing to cooperate in the work of the, of the kingdom. Men of cooperation. In verse 22, Paul says, you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, and this phrase, it gives us this idea that, hey, that Paul was like a father figure to Timothy. They had that kind of a relationship. As a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I'm, I'm going to tell you a couple things when it's just pastors talking is one of the most discouraging things to a pastor. You ready? Here it goes. I'm going to be vulnerable with you. Um, at every, any given church in the United States of America, there are twice as many women serving as men, including this church. For some reason, some of us guys, not all of us, because there are a ton of guys in this church that work hard, and and serve like crazy and volunteer. But there are also a ton of us that feel it's okay to come and sit on Sunday mornings and sit on the sidelines and let the girls do all the heavy work when it comes to ministry. And I'm just asking you, do, do, do you think that makes sense to you? I can understand in the early 1900s or the early part of this century when, when the traditional family was dad went to work and mom was kind of the stay at home mom and there was, there was time where mom could flex a little bit more and serve a little bit more. But we now serve in a culture where mom and the wife works just as hard or harder than dad. So I can't quite connect the pieces. Paul further identifies what he's talking about here. Because he says they serve, he served in the work of the gospel. Anytime that word gospel is mentioned, what he's talking about is the ability to share with other people who Jesus was and what he did and why he matters to me and can make a difference in your life. That's the gospel. And and what Paul is saying is Timothy was the kind of guy that... You know, when he went golfing with his friends, you know, when they, when they did things together, when they watched the ball game, when, when he just hang out with his friends, he was willing to share tactfully. Because, you know, some of us like hit people over the head with our Bible. No, tactfully, who Jesus was and he makes a difference in my life. One of the most, I would say, disappointing conversations I had in the last couple years is I bumped into a guy outside of church. He had nothing to do with church. Um, it was in the context of my kids and sports and his kids and sports. And we were kind of in the same situation. We were kind of waiting for our kids and we started talking and, uh, it ended up that we both had a mutual acquaintance, someone that we both knew very, very well. And I said to this guy, Hey, that's interesting. So-and-so goes to my church. 
fact, he's there almost every Sunday. And then this guy said this. Hmm. That's interesting. Because I know him really, really well. And not once has he ever said anything about church or God in his life. And I left and I was discouraged. And I began to wonder and ask myself, how many of us guys are out there like that? So let me just ask you, do the people in your life, men, do they know that you go to church? More importantly, because it's not really about being in church. Do they know you love Jesus and have given your life to him? And if not, why not? How is it that on Sunday morning we can come here and say Jesus is the most important thing in the world and in my life and Monday through Saturday say nothing about him? It was all over the news about a decade ago. Um, there was a police officer in Los Angeles County who came upon a, a, a brown El Dorado who was parked by a curb illegally on the uh, street sweep day, right? So he wasn't supposed to be there. And the guy was still sitting in the in the driver's seat, and so the cop honked, but the, the guy didn't move. And so the cop got out, and he took his ticket thing out, and he wrote him a ticket. And uh, he noticed that the guy's window was down. So instead of putting it on the windshield, he reached inside the window and put it on his dashboard and said, have a good day, and he left. All along... The guy who was sitting in the pass, in the driver's seat, he, he didn't complain, he didn't argue, he didn't say a word. You know why? He was dead. He had died 12 hours ago. And the police officer, so consumed with, focused on writing a ticket, he hadn't even noticed the guy hadn't moved. He was dead. This book says that many of the people around us are dead in their transgressions and in their sins. What that means is that they're not connected to God. And if something doesn't happen in their life, they will never be connected to God, not in this life or the next life. And yet so many of us are so intent on giving other people tickets, pointing out what they've done wrong. And what they need is not to point out what they've done wrong. What they need is to be told about a Savior that loves them and has a different plan for their life. And that responsibility is not just Dave's. It's yours. And God is saying, I am looking for men of cooperation in my kingdom. Guys that are willing to stand up and say, I'll, I'll help out at church. More importantly, I'll help out in the work of the gospel. I'm willing to share with other friends and family members and co-workers. I love Jesus and he's made a difference in my life. And now it's your turn, guys. When you leave here, don't keep it to yourself. Your, your faith is to, be, is to be something that is personal, but it is not to be something that is private. You're meant to share it with others. Paul goes on, he says, God is looking for men of character in verse 22. Same verse. Let's put the next slide up there. Same verse, but different emphasis. He says, um, but you know that Timothy has proved himself. Now, when I got to that, that, that phrase, I asked myself, How? Proved what? And I thought, you know, the best way to figure out what is Paul saying? Because basically Paul's saying, I've given Timothy certain instructions. I've given him certain things he should do. And he did them. He proved himself. So you know the best way to figure out what did Paul tell Timothy? Go to the book of 1 Timothy. Now if you want to keep your finger here, I'm going to turn real quickly to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I'm going to identify a couple things 
that Paul has told Timothy that Timothy has proved himself on. Verse 12, in the middle of verse 12, here's what Paul says to Timothy. Set an example. Let me just stop right there. Are you the kind of guy, men, that others can say, you see that guy right there? You see that? Just just be like him. Do, do the things that he does. Talk the way that he talks. Are you that kind of man that others can say, he's an example? That's what Paul says of Timothy. Be an example. Be an example of believers in your speech. Guys, can I just ask you, uh, what, what kind of words are, come out of your mouth when you're driving, when you're watching a ball game and your team does something that you don't like? What, what kind of words come out of your mouth when you're angry and upset at someone at home or at work? Are you an example in speech? Be an example in conduct, be an example in love, be an example in faith, be an example in purity. Maybe today you finally realize that checking out porn online is not pure. It's not godly. So you are going to make a decision one way or another. Who am I going to be as a man? Will I be a man of character? He goes a little bit further. Chapter 6, something that catches my attention. Verse 10, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Paul speaks to Timothy and he says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, in other words, they want more and more and more and more, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is something we can all learn from. I think it's interesting that Paul speaks to a man because if you do any study of sociology and psychology of men, you know that one of the things that we lean on and depend on is we want to be successful in our careers. It's how many of us get our self-esteem. We want to be successful in our careers. We want to make this amount of money. And next year, we want to make that amount of money. And we want to keep improving. It's the way that we prove to the world we're successful. And what Paul says is, be careful. There's nothing wrong with having money. The the problem is going to be, if you live for money, you have a chance, he says, to, to wander from the faith. And then he adds in verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness. Men, God says to you this morning, pursue righteousness. Let me explain it to you this way. Let's put this next slide up on the screen. You all recognize this as a ice, uh, 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 iceberg. I was going to say ice cube. I said, that's not an ice cube. (laughs) That's an iceberg, right? I don't think any, I don't know if anyone's ever seen this live in person. We, We see it on, you know, documentaries with polar bears and things like that. For the sake of this illustration and example, I want you to pretend that the iceberg represents you and your life, right? Now, what many of us don't realize about icebergs is that the primary mass of an iceberg is not what you see. I want to show you another image that's computer generated that will show you the total mass of an iceberg. Let me show you. Only about 10% of an iceberg is above the surface, above the water. Only 10% is what you and I can see. What I'd like to suggest to you, man, is that 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 10%, that's your personality. That's your gifting. That's your abilities. That's your job. That's what the rest of us see. But the 90% that is underneath the surface... The 90% that no one else sees, 
That's your character. That's your integrity. That's your purity. What's underneath the surface is what no one else sees. What's underneath the surface is who you are when no one is looking. What's underneath the surface is only what God sees. And if we're talking about icebergs, let's just don't forget, it was what's underneath the surface that sunk the Titanic. You do know that, right? It's the same thing with people. Whether you will sink spiritually is not based normally upon what's above the water. Your personality or your gifting. What will sink you spiritually is what's underneath the water. Are you a man of purity? What are you going to do about your cussing, your drinking, your anger, your porn, your financial misdealings, the way you cheat your boss at work? What are you going to choose to do about that? Will you or will you not say, I'm choosing to be a man of character, of purity, of integrity? Paul shifts a little bit. And now he goes from talking about Timothy to talking about the other guy, Epaphroditus. And he says, I'm also looking for men of commitment. And in verse 25, he says this, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. What's going on here? The theme of Philippians is joy and laughing again. It's what we've been talking about for two months. But the purpose of the book of, uh, of Philippians was basically a thank you card. The church at Philippi had given Paul an offering, a financial contribution, and he was sending a thank you card back to the church at Philippi. But in those days, they don't have Western Union. They don't have, you know, they they can't write them a check. No, they take an offering, and then someone's got to carry it. Guess who carried it? Paffy carried it. Paphrodite said, "I'll, I'll take it. Doesn't sound like that big a deal. 600 miles. 600 miles he walked, carrying whatever it was to Paul as the financial contribution. Paul says, uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know what we really need? We need men of commitment. Men of commitment. Men that can be counted on through thick and thin. They don't take the easy way out. He, he identifies four things about this Epaphroditus. Real quick, let me show you. Let's put the next slide up there. Brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, messenger. Brother is Paul's favorite word to describe other Christians. You know why? Because we're a family. And everything that implies, the good and sometimes the not so good, right? Because all families have spats. So every once in a while we have spats. We're family. That's why some, have you ever been to like a really traditional church and they refer to each other as brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so? It comes from this. When we embrace Christ as, as, as our Savior, we become a family. We refer to each other. Basically, we're brothers in that sense. Sisters. He's a co-worker. Um, he, he, he not only worships the same God, he serves the same God. He's a fellow soldier. If you go just five pages to the left, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul reminds us that if you're serious about living the Christian faith, you're going to have battle. You will be involved in spiritual warfare, he calls, and you've got to put on some armor. And he says, oh, by the way, Epaphroditus, is a, he's a fellow soldier. By the way, if you're involved in living for Christ, you're going to get involved in battles. And just a little suggestion. It's not just you one-on-one with the enemy. No, you're part of an army. The, the Bible refers to not only who we are as a, as a family, but also an army. And if you're trying to fight 
the enemy or challenges and difficulties on your own, it's going to be so much harder to win. The people right around and in front of you, they're fellow soldiers. And that comes the challenge of learning how to depend and lean and encourage one another. He also says he's, he's your messenger. Just a little, little tidbit. That word messenger in Greek is literally the word minister or pastor. I find that interesting because there's so many guys that think, well, I could never do what Dave does. You don't have to. This guy was behind the scenes. We only have five verses on him in the entire Bible. Paul says, you know what Paphroditus was? He was just like a pastor, just like a minister. Because when you're part of the team, when you're part of the kingdom, and you say, I'm going to serve whoever I am according to my, my gifting, you're in, you're part of the team. You are a minister in Christ. God's looking for guys of commitment, willing to go all in. It's like this chicken and pig that were walking by a church. Stupid story, but it makes a good point. And uh, they had this sign, you know, you know, these churches that have signs where they put stuff up. Hey, we're missing you. And I, I would never do that. It drives me crazy. I couldn't be creative enough every week, but they drive by and the sign says, do something to help the poor. And the chicken and the pig are walking by and go, we should do that. So they keep walking. What can we do to help the poor? What can we do to help the poor? And the chicken says, I got it. Here's what we can do. We will serve a free breakfast for the poor. And we'll serve them bacon and eggs. <laughs> and the pig says, I don't like that, that plan. The chicken says, why? And the, and the pig says, well, because for you it just requires a contribution. But for me it requires total commitment. Are you the kind of guy that just gives a contribution? Or are you all in? You know, um, Lenin, the father of communism, said this. He said, give me a hundred men committed to my cause and I will change the world. And he did. We are still feeling the effects of communism around our world. You know what God says this morning? Give me the men of Bay Hills. Give me the men. And I will change our families and I will change this church and I will change this community. And you, some of you may be thinking that's kind of sexist. No, actually not. I'm, I'm being historically accurate. Every single revival in this country, every single one where God powerfully moved through our nation, every single one, you could take it back in history, was when men finally got serious about their faith. Every single one. I've been your pastor for 20 years. You want to know the biggest complaint I get from women in this church when they sit with me in counseling? I wish my husband would step it up. They don't come to me going, oh, he wants me to do this, he wants me to submit. No, step it up. Help out with the kids. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Do something at church. Step it up. Do you know that wives find that extremely sexy when you do that? I'm telling you. Oh, there's someone back there. Yeah. she find her husband quick. You know what bothers me? There are three times as many women in Bible studies at this church than men. 
Can you answer me why? Maybe it's time for us to step it up. Men. Paul wraps up and he says, God's looking for men of courage. You know, if you're going to do the first four, you're going to need courage. He says, for he, speaking of Epaphroditus, longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. I don't know what it was, but he walks the 600 miles. And by the time he gets to, to Rome, he's really sick. I don't know if he, he ate the, the contaminated berries from Costco. I don't know if he picked up the flu bug. I don't know. But he's not well. In fact, twice it says in these verses, he almost died. And Paul is desperate to send him back because the church at Philippi have heard this and they're stressed out and Paul's stressed out. Oh, by the way, just a little side note. If you ever bump into a Christian that wants to pray for you for healing and says to you, all you need is faith and then you'll be healed. These are disproof of that. You know why? If there was anybody that had faith, it would be Paul and Paul couldn't heal him. And Epaphroditus had faith and Epaphroditus was not healed. It's not just about your faith. Sometimes it's about the will of God. And for some reason, Epaphroditus almost died. He was right there at the edge. And he's sending them back. And he says, so then, welcome in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Because he almost died. Question. Would you be willing to die for Jesus? That question doesn't even make sense in America. When's the last time you heard of anyone getting stabbed for Jesus, beheaded for Jesus, shot for Jesus? It happened this week in Asia and in Africa. More men and women are dying today, right now for their faith, than in the last 19 centuries combined. And at some point in time, it will get to the Western world. We know that because that's what the end of the Bible says. Are you, would you be willing to do what Epaphroditus did? Almost die for the work of Christ. Paul says, God's desperately looking for men of courage. Men that will stand up and do what is right, even though it's a hard thing to do. And he wraps it up and he says, he risked his life to make up for the help that you could not do and give. Can I just tell you something about risking? The most risky thing to do in life is for you to play it safe. I know that sounds weird. Let me say it again. The most risky thing you can do in life is to play it safe. Let me give you an example. If you're the kind of baseball player that gets up to the plate with your bat and you're trying to get a base on balls, that's how you want to get the first base. You will never hear the cheering of the crowd because you hit a home run. You've got to risk striking out if you want to hit a home run. If you're a businessman and you want, to, you want to make your business grow and do something, you've got to risk losing your capital. You've got to risk something in order to make it. It's all about risk and the management of risk. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm telling you now, the most dangerous thing you could do, the riskiest thing you could do in life is to play it safe. You know why? Because playing it safe involves no faith whatsoever. And without faith, you and I are in deep, deep trouble. 
Many of you probably don't recognize this guy. His name is Martin Niemuller. He was lived back in the 30s and 40s. He was referred to as Hitler's personal prisoner. You know, the Nazis, um, they imprisoned and killed literally thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, but of all the prisoners that the Nazis and Hitler had, this was called his, Hitler's personal prisoner because he would always check up on how this guy was doing in his jails. He did not like this guy. He was a pastor in Germany at the time of World War II. Um, but by his own admission, he didn't always do and live up to what God expected of him. And I give you a quote of his to show you that if you're not willing to risk and to stand up for what is right, eventually, at times, it comes back to bite you. Martin Niemöller, in his biography, says this. The Nazis came for the communists, but I didn't object because I wasn't a communist. The Nazis then came for the socialists, but I didn't object because I was, wasn't a socialist. The Nazis came for the labor leaders, but I didn't object because I wasn't a labor leader. The Nazis, then they came for the Jews, but I didn't object because I wasn't a Jew. But then the Nazis came for me. And I realized there was no one left to object. You see, if you're not willing to stand up for what is right and what is true, at some point in time, it might come back and bite you. I'm going to have the band come up at this time as they're coming up. Um, I'm going to get transitioned now more into a reflective time. And I just, some of you are probably wondering, you know, Dave, today you're really serious. Not too many fun stories and jokes today. Why is that? You know why? I, I feel that so many of us men have lost our spiritual muscle, our spiritual teeth. I'm not angry at you or bothered, but for the kingdom and for Jesus, it bothers me. Because I know what God expects and wants for you. The saddest phrase in this passage is when Paul says, I have no one else like him. No one else. I can't find anyone else. Put that summary slide up there. No, no, no one else that, that genuinely cares about people. I can't find anybody. No one else that is willing to cooperate for the kingdom that says, I'll help out. I, I'm not that great at that, but I'm willing to help out. I can't find other people that, are, that, are, that stand for what is right and are men and women of character and of integrity. I can't find them. People that are all in with Jesus. People who courageously are willing to say, if I have to, I'll sacrifice my life. I don't want to, but if I have to, I'll do that. I can't find anybody, says Paul. And I can't help but wonder, what would Paul say about the men of this church? More importantly, what would God say about you? What kind of man are you? What kind of man are you striving to become? I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to shut it down. Guys, being male is a matter of your birth. 
But being a godly man is a matter of your choice. And this morning I'm going to ask you, do you want to make that choice? Let's close in a word of prayer. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I, I really don't want anyone to look up. I no no peeking today. You know, normally what I do right about now is I say, if you're willing to be this kind of man, or if you're willing to apply what we've learned, I ask you to quickly slip up your hand. Um this morning, today, that's too easy. I don't want any man to do what I'm going to ask you to do based upon what anyone else is doing. That's why I'm asking you to keep your eyes shut. I don't want you to do it based upon who you're sitting next to or what you think someone expects of you. I just want you to know, I can't even see the crowds. I don't know who's going to stand or not, but I'm going to ask you this morning in a moment, if you want to be the kind of man we've talked about today, the kind of man that God is looking for. And you say, you know what? I got a ways to go, but I want to be that kind of man that cares about people, that cooperates with God in the kingdom, a man of integrity and of character that is committed all in with Jesus, a man who's willing to risk for the kingdom. If you're that kind of man, if you want to make that choice and that decision today, I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Heavenly Father, I, in this passage, you tell us to honor men like Timothy and Epaphroditus. I, I'm not sure what that means. I'm going to ask you to honor these men that are standing right now. We all come from different walks of life. We're all at different stages in this spiritual journey. But everyone here today stands not for the other people in this room. We stand before you. And we communicate to you. We want to be the kind of men you want us to be. We know that's going to be difficult and we know that's going to stretch us. Father, I am asking for the men that are standing right here. All the men, the children, the women that are here. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we be the kind of people that chooses, desires to live for you. That is willing to sacrifice whatever it takes. Because Jesus matters more in our life than anything else, Father. Sometimes we will say that with our words, but we won't live that with our lives. Help us be that kind of man today, Father. Father, I'm thankful that whether we're standing or sitting, we all showed up here today because we do want you to stretch us and challenge us. And some of us were incredibly uncomfortable with what we went through today and are even right now. Father, I pray that you would remind these guys that you love them and that you're not giving up on any one of us. Father, I also want to acknowledge and thank you for the women here realizing that if I was asking this of them, many of them would be standing at this point. Father, we were going to conclude our study time now on Father's Day, remembering that you are the ultimate heavenly and perfect Father. It is because of you that we worship Jesus and we thank you for who you are and we will respond to you in worship. Let's all stand together and let's worship God.
It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.